Yeah, that's great. Six and eight o'clock. I'm excited to be here with you and all your friends. On your seat, there were two little invite cards. We've upgraded them this year. There's some gold foil on there. It's a special ticket. It tells them about our Christmas Eve Eve service. If you take these and you invite somebody to come with you to Christmas Eve Eve, you can just give them one of these. Everything they need to know about the service is right there on the back is our website. They can find out everything they need to know. And it's a reminder to them of the event that you're inviting them to. I hope that you'll do that. If you have young kids, um, come either service. Services are identical. Sometimes 6 p.m. is a bit better for you if you have young kids. If you don't have young kids, sometimes 8 p.m. is a little bit better. And historically, 8 p.m. is a little less crowded in this space. But if we run out of room, we have a great video venue set up uh, right across on the other end of the building. All right, So it's going to be a great day. As you guys know, many of you have been here for a long time. This is typically our largest service of the year, one of the most exciting services of the year. And I'm really excited to share it with you. So uh, Christmas Eve Eve service coming up. Don't forget it. So uh, on Thursday, I had a lot of food, like a lot of you, I hope. Uh, you had a chance to have a lot of food. And then I did something else that is just really, really bothering me. I, um, I slept in a little bit. And you know what I've discovered about sleeping in? I just want to sleep in more and more and more. And so since your first service, I wanted to say a special thank you to you for getting up on this holiday season and being with us here at the early service. All right, so here in this box is a Christmas gift. Um, <clears throat> how many of you got your Christmas shopping done already? Anybody out here? Got it all done? All right, yeah, I don't like you guys. Um, we went out a little bit over the weekend, did some Christmas shopping, got a few gifts. And I love putting the gifts under the tree because they represent, these gifts represent so much potential, don't they? Like you never really know what's in the box unless you're like uh, me and my siblings one year. We unwrapped a handful of them and tried to wrap them back. And we thought it was going to be so cool knowing what was under the tree before. It just it kind of did a number on Christmas for us. We never did that again. I, I love as a parent getting gifts for my kids and wrapping them up, putting them under the tree and uh, waiting for Christmas Day for them to unwrap them to see the joy in their face. And sometimes we've had such amazing wins as a, as a family. Jill and I felt like great parents some Christmas mornings, but one Christmas morning we felt like complete failures. Here's, here's what happened. There were gifts under the tree, much like this one, and there was so much excitement. And the kids had been for weeks telling us what they wanted, and like you probably do, we try to get them a few things that they want every year. We, they certainly don't get everything that they want. That would be ridiculous. We don't have that kind of money. It wouldn't be good for them. But we try to get them some things that they want every year, and so we had wrapped those gifts, put them under the tree, and we were pretty certain this year we were going to be hitting the mark, that the kids were going to be excited, going to be happy with what happened. And so we got up Christmas morning bright and early, and the kids were young, and we're opening the gifts. And when we're all set and done, there are smiles almost all the way around the room, except for one of my kids. He's crying, literally crying. I'm not going to name him. He's in the room, so I'm not going to name him. <laughs> He's literally crying. And we look at him and we say, what's wrong? And his words, which aren't accurate, but they are forever etched into our memory, was, I asked for a rifle and all I got was socks and underwear. <laughs> now, he had certainly gotten more than socks and underwear. But in his young mind, because he didn't get what he thought he wanted, what he knew he wanted, what he thought he had asked for, of course his list had changed a hundred times and couldn't keep up, in his mind, the only thing he got was socks and underwear. So like, like good suburban parents, the next day we took his gifts back and went out and got him a rifle. That's what we did. And that's how you spoil your kids and make, um, yeah, you make all kinds of problems that way. But that's what we did. 
That's what we did. Because when you give a gift, you want it to connect with somebody. You want it to, to be meaningful to them. You want it to be an expression of your love for them and their value to you. And it's just a token, right? But you want it to connect. And so we're calling the message series leading up to Christmas Eve, Socks and Underwear. Because when you're young sometimes in your faith and life, sometimes if your faith isn't developed, you don't always appreciate the gifts that God has given you. Sometimes you don't see them for what they are. Sometimes you don't understand their importance. But sometimes when you get older, you can begin to appreciate things that when you were younger in your understanding. I'm not talking about chronology here. I'm not talking about your age here. Sometimes when you get older, you can begin to appreciate some of the stuff that you didn't understand and appreciate when you were younger. In our passage today, continuing in the study of Ephesians, even though we're changing message series, is Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can go there on your message notes or on your phone. They'll also be on the screen. You can follow along as I try to show you what is one of God's greatest gifts to the church, to you, to the, to the saints, to the brothers and sisters. Paul was writing this letter to the church that he loved. He was communicating with them about his value uh, for them and the value that God had placed on them. He's talking to them candidly about what's important, what they need to know. Uh, last week, Pastor Will dealt with chapter three in the first part of chapter four, and I watched. Um, Jill and I were away. We were doing a wedding, and before the wedding started, I had a chance to watch first service, and I was just so impressed with the way he handled the message and how he talked about the importance of that passage and, and the power of prayer in a person's life and all the things that God is doing in the life of the church. And we're going to pick up right on the tail end of that thinking that Paul was doing at the end of chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 7, and we're going to discover some of the gifts that God has given us. He's given you. And unfortunately, this is one of those gifts that sometimes gets left unwrapped under the tree. It doesn't get opened. If it does get opened, it isn't appreciated for the full weight of what it is. All right? And so with that said, let's uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 on your message notes. Here we go. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So we, we jumped into the middle of a thought. Paul has been talking about this amazing prayer he has, how he hopes God will do great things in the life of the church. And then he continues his thought with the conjunction translated into English with the word but. So all this great stuff is going to happen corporately, but to each individual person, Christ has given a gift of grace. Each person who's in the body of Christ, each brother and sister, each member of the family of God has been given a gift by Christ. It's a big gift. It's an important gift. It's a life-changing gift. It's one of the reasons why when I became a follower of Jesus, as I begin to grow and develop and understand, it's one of the reasons why I got so energized by what it is to be a follower of Jesus was beginning to understand the gifts that God has given me because of the work of Jesus. I didn't understand all that when I turned my life over to Jesus. I just needed a God who would direct my life. I needed a sense of purpose. I needed somebody that could handle the fact that I wasn't perfect. That's what motivated me initially to come to Jesus. 
But once I was in, I began to understand that there's some pretty profound things that God does. And Paul's going to take a couple minutes right now in this letter that he wrote, it's in our Bible, to a church in a city called Ephesus. And he's going to explain to them just a little bit about the power of the gifts that God gives to the body of Christ, to each of us. So again, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and for the next couple sentences, he's going to quote the Old Testament. Remember, the Bible's in two big parts. Old Testament, all the stuff before Jesus. The New Testament kind of begins about the time Christ was born. We're celebrating all that stuff. We call it Advent, right? We're celebrating all that going into this season. And in the New Testament, when the story of Jesus initiates, we are reminded of all the great things that God had started in the Old Testament. He talks about in the Old Testament this coming change that's going to happen with Christ. Paul's going to quote some of those verses. This is why it, the Old Testament says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That's a verse from the Old Testament. And Paul is using that verse of the Old Testament to refer to the time when Jesus came to earth and he was lifted up on a cross he died, he was put into a tomb, he raised again, and he goes back to heaven. In those events, in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is lifted on high. So he came, he descended down to earth, but he was ascended. And when he was ascended, here's what he did again. He gave gifts to his people. One of the reasons we give gifts at Christmas time is it harkens back to the fact that Jesus is the gift of God to the world. It's a gift that demonstrates God's love, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness. God wants us in his family. God cares for us. And when Jesus was descended to earth and he was lifted on high in his death, burial, and resurrection, he took many things captive. He took death and pain and disease and alienation and loneliness and brokenness. He took all those things captive. And when he took them captive, he also gave great gifts to his people. This is the power of being in the family of God. And that God has this amazing way of giving gifts to us. And our job is to unpack them, understand them, and value them. Verse 9. Now Paul is going to kind of parenthetically talk about this verse and its implication. So he asks the question, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? So God was on high. He ascended because first he descended to earth. He came down here to be among us. This is what the prophets in the Old Testament talked about. That there would be a child given to us. His name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that God would start something in him. He would start a government, an administration, a way of doing things in Christ that would know no end. So Christ comes from heaven. He descends to earth. So what does it mean he ascended except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who also ascended higher than all the heavens. So he came down, but he also went back up. And when he went back up, he's even more awesome because he gave his life. He emptied himself. He died in our place. He lived a perfect life. He did great teaching. Lives were changed. So now when he goes back up, he's even higher than he ever was. And then look at what it says he did this for. In order to fill the whole universe. 
You want to know why Christ came to earth? It wasn't just simply so that you and I could have a relationship with him. That, that would be enough. But that wasn't all that was going on. In fact, one of the reasons why you and I are invited to have a relationship with Jesus is because Jesus wants to do something profound with that relationship. He doesn't just want to take you to heaven one day, although he will. It's good enough. But what he actually wants to do is found in the phrase we just read. Paul explains to the Ephesian church what Christ is actually doing, his whole purpose for coming out of heaven, descending to earth, and then being raised back up is so that he could, here's our phrase, fill the earth. Jesus wants to, by a relationship with you, a relationship with me, by all of us together, he wants to fill the earth with his presence. Both his presence, like this, and his presence spelled with the C-E at the end. He wants to both be present and give presence. He wants to fill the earth. Your relationship with Christ, my relationship with Christ, the invite that we were given was not just to get out of eternal punishment and into heaven. That wasn't it. That's part of it. What he really wants to do is he wants to work in your life. He wants to continue to give you gifts. He wants to do something profound in you. And when it's accomplished, the result will be that the whole earth will be filled with the presence of God. It's a pretty profound promise. Let me tell you the, the, the small implication right away. The small implication right away that will take time to develop over your lifetime is, is that you are a part of a bigger picture. Now, this runs against kind of the meism that's at work in the world today. It runs against, the, it's kind of countercultural to this, to this American independence that I love so much. It's, it's very much connected to the fact that you and I are part of a bigger story. There's something bigger going on than just what we feel and, and what we sense. God is doing something profound. He's using your life and my life, especially when we work together, to fill the earth with his presence. When the earth is filled with the presence of God, everything will be different. In fact, the picture of heaven we get when heaven is described to us in images and pictures in the Bible, the picture of heaven we get most clearly stated is, is heaven is going to exist. Heaven is going to come down to earth in the book of Revelation in your Bible. And when it does, God's presence is going to fill all the earth. And when God's presence fills all the earth, some pretty profound things are going to occur. Some of the images we're given is, is no more crying, no more sad tears. No more war. We're going to take weapons of war and they're going to be fashioned into farm equipment. The imagery is, is that all the energy put towards destruction and chaos is going to be turned towards life-giving activity. In heaven, no more division. No more relational chaos. No more black, white, brown, yellow. All one in the family of God. When God's presence fills the earth, every wrong is made right. All of justice is complete. And at the exact same time, mercy is present for everybody who needs it. 
It's going to be a great day. So when Jesus came to earth the first time, it's the grand and glorious promise that one day what started with Jesus is going to be made complete. And when Jesus came the first time, he was only able to go to one place, be in one place at one time. He chose to accept the form of the limited form of a human being's body. So he literally walked around the Holy Land, the Galilee and Jerusalem and those areas. But when he comes again, when heaven is fully done, all that limitation is gone. And instead of being in one place at one time, all of it will be made complete. So what started on Christmas Day, when he was born, is going to be made complete. And in between now and then, we're in the middle. You and me. We're a part of it. We're brought into the family of God. He does his work inside of us, but not just for us. He wants to actually make us a part of the bigger story. This is a thing that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. It should get a lot more. That your story with God is not just about you. It's about something so much bigger. This is why Paul writes to this church and he loves them. He's been gone from them for two years. He's in prison and he writes back to them and he says, I got to just remind you that it's not just about you. There's something bigger and more profound. There's something worth sticking to the work of God for. And it's connected to literally the presence that God gives you. It's connected. And in fact, you can look at the presence that God gives and you can work backwards to what he must be thinking and how he must be planning and what must be in his heart and his mind for you. Just like when I give gifts to my wife. I give her gifts that I know will bring her joy, that will lighten her load, that will make her smile, that will make her, I hope, feel the love and affection and care that I have for her. That's why we give gifts anyway. It's not obligation, is it? And I hope not. I hope you're not there in your family. It's simply obligation. That takes all the joy out of it. Now, Jesus, like a good gift giver, gives gifts to his church, to you and to me. The Bible says in our verse when we began, to each person. So nobody's exempt. Everybody's included. Everybody gets the gifts. And the point of the gifts is that God would fill the earth with his presence. This is pretty heady stuff. I mean, this is 30,000-foot view of what's going on in the New Testament right here. Verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are five functions, five leadership roles, five church-identified functions that people fulfilled. Christ gave these five leadership positions to the church. One of the gifts that God gave is he gave each person a gift. But to some people, he gave particular roles in the church. So everybody has a gift. Everybody is a part of filling the earth. But some people have particular gifts that have a particular function. They are also the gift of God to the church. And I gotta tell you, there probably all year long has not been a passage I've been more excited to preach than this one. This passage is uniquely connected to why it is I do what I do for a living. 
and why it is that for the last 30 years, Jill and I have been married, we've been involved in ministry. The next couple of verses reveal the master plan of why God calls pastors and church leaders to do what they do. It's why in the real sense, when I read this passage, I'm reminded that when I stepped into being a pastor, in some real sense, I stepped out of doing ministry. I want to explain that to you. But to do that, let's keep reading the verses, all right? So verse 11 again. So Christ himself gave these church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all, that's all of us, in the Greek that word all means all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's that word full again. Christ came and he came to earth and he was lifted back up so that he could fill the earth with his presence And the other thing that is going to happen between now and when that ultimately happens at the end, he's going to use his people, each one who's been given a gift individually, and some people given particular gifts unique to the church. He's going to use all of them so that all of us can be made full with Christ. See, Christ didn't want to just give you fire insurance. Sometimes when people talk about Christians, they talk about them in the most shallow ways. That really all Christianity is about is some kind of cosmic fire insurance that lulls us into a sense of peace and comfort in a world that's very broken. And so religion is basically for the intellectually weak. That's what's said. If you go to your freshman Bible class in college, that's what you're going to hear most likely. But that's not at all the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is all about broken people. That part's true. Who need some peace. That's also true. That's true for everybody. But when we discover Christ, we're actually commissioned to help bring the work of God to its full expression in the world. That's the bigger story that doesn't get enough playtime as people discuss the point of Christianity. Christianity to some is just being nice. You should probably be nice. Christianity to some is you, uh, you, know, you go through a certain form and ritual. You got baptized or you joined the church and Probably should do that too. But that's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about individuals who receive Christ as a gift. They didn't earn it. It was given to them by believing in the work of Jesus. They received this gift. It's called grace. It's called the power of life with God given to you that you did not earn. And when that happens, you are now commissioned to be about the work of God in the world. This, my friends, I want to tell you, is the real joy of being a Christian. This is the secret sauce. When Christians tune in to this point right here, I know exactly what's going to happen to them over the next 20, 30, 40, and 50 years. And when they don't turn into this, when they don't turn towards this, when they don't, you know, uh, take up this mantle of the full work of Christ. I know exactly what it's going to look like for them as well. I've been doing it long enough. This is the secret, in my opinion, I think in the Apostle Paul's opinion, to joy in the Christian life. And it's directly connected to presence. 
The passage begins by saying Christ has given to each person a present, a gift, a grace gift. And to some people, unique in the church, he's given particular gifts. But the whole point is is that God wants to use your life and mine to fill the earth with the spirit of God, with the work of God, with the life of God. What are some of the characteristics of that life with God? It's, It's light, not darkness. It's truth, not lies. It's working together, not constant turmoil, bickering, and war. It's building up, not tearing down. It's making things whole where they're broken. It's bringing healing where there's hurt. This is the work of God. This is why Jesus came, and this is why he invites you to not just experience it yourself. That's level one. That's kindergarten. That's the beginning point. You experience it yourself. But that's not the end. The end is, is you and I grow up. We mature. That's what this passage is about. And when we mature, we get about doing the work of God in the world. When that happens, joy sense of purpose, knowing what you're here for, that stuff gets cemented in your mind. And that's where stability comes in your faith. That's where maturity comes in your faith. Without that, people tend to move from one emotional high to the next without a solid foundation. It's not just about a relationship with Jesus that gives you nice things. When Jesus gives you gifts, I want to be honest with you. They're not about you. They're gifts that you're meant to use in service to others. This is the difference between a talent and a gift. Some people are so talented, and when you watch them do their talent, you go, oh my goodness, you're so talented, and you're so impressed with what they're able to do and how they play that guitar or how they sing or how they paint or how they interact with people or how they do medicine, whatever it is, you're so gifted. But when people understand their gifts are not just for them, you might still be impressed with the way they do their gift slash talent. But when it's a gift, you begin to see the impact it has on other people. And you value its impact, not just standing in awe of the person who's talented. A great worship leader. You might be impressed with their energy from stage or the way they sing or how they can conduct a band. But what also happens is they help people connect with God in song. That's a gift. And that gift given to that person is not to draw attention to the worship leader or to the drummer or to the guitar player or to the singer. That's just a talent. Talent will do that. But a gift from Christ, what it actually does It's while we watch them do their thing, we're sucked in to the motivating force that's animating them. And instead of turning our eyes to the worship leader, a good worship leader, you know what they do? They help us turn our eyes towards Christ. That's the difference between a gift, a spiritual gift, and a talent. When God's working in you and you do the thing that God has called you to do and you're operating to fill the earth with God's presence, people aren't just amazed at you. They're amazed at the God working in you. 
when people hear a good pastor. They shouldn't just be impressed with the way he does a hospital visit or how he can pray, or maybe how he can preach. Somehow when they do that thing, it's supposed to draw people not to themselves, but to the God who's at work in them, filling the person who's now a part of filling the earth with the work of God, making all attention land on God. This is what makes a person like, as, just as an example, a person like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham so impressive. Because they do this incredible work in the name of God and they've clearly been transformed themselves. But when they do it, people don't just praise Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and a host of others and dozens even in this church. They actually are drawn to the God behind it all. So I want to remind you one more time, God has given you an amazing gift. I don't know what it is exactly. You might have some sense of what it is, and some of you may know exactly how God has gifted you, how he's wired you. But that gift isn't just for you. And if you want to understand the real joy of the Christian life, it comes from walking in your gift and accepting it and opening it and letting God use the gifts he gives you not to bring glory to you, but bringing glory to himself as he uses you, as he fills you, and allows you to be a part of filling the earth. This is what Paul's writing to them about. So to each person has been given a gift. To some people, like church leaders, they've been given unique gifts, but the whole point is that the body of Christ all of us, might be built up to maturity. That's the whole point. Verse 11, one more time. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Two goals, maturity and unity. You want to know? how it is to discern whether a church is healthy or not. A lot of things people say make a healthy church. A lot of ways to measure a healthy church. Um, you can measure uh, dollars and noses. That's one way. You know, how much offerings coming in or the bills being paid. How many people are in the seats. That's one, one metric. Uh, you, you can measure the, the, the impact of a church in a community. Paul says, do you want to know, in this passage at least, do you want to know two good indicators that a church is pretty healthy? Here it is. People are maturing in their faith. That is, their knowledge, their experience of Christ is growing. They, when they engage the church, the saints are built up, they are maturing, and they're walking in unity together. They're maturing, and they're walking in unity the church is not marked by all kinds of divisions and individual agendas and all kinds of backbiting. No, what's actually happening is, is they are putting aside individual preferences and they're working together to do the work that God has called the church to do. And they're individually getting a bigger and better and clearer picture of Jesus. That's what's actually happening. 
And the way you and I get to participate is, one more time, we open the gift that God has given us. So what gifts has God given you? I don't know. The Bible names some 16 different gifts, and we don't know if that's all of them or if that's just an indicator of how diverse and awesome God's gifts are. But the truth is, is if this passage is true, if you don't do your part as a part of this church, you limit, I'm going to go selfish on you for just a second, all right? You limit my maturity if you don't do your role, if you don't open your gift. You limit my maturity. That's what this passage tells us. When each of us open our gifts and do the work that God has called us to do in filling the earth the way he's called us to do it, you to do it, then what happens is the whole body gets to be more mature. Here's the truth. I need you in my life to mature in all the ways God has called me to mature. The other thing I need is that if you don't open your gift and do your thing, we can't walk in unity and do big things together. I mean, I can do my part. I can be faithful. I can be an individual follower. But the power and the energy comes when we do it together. So one more time. I need personally you to open your gifts from God and use them personally, and use them to fill the earth with God, your earth, your community, your region with God. And when you do that, you give me the possibility of growing up more because I'm doing life with you. And you give me the possibility of walking in unity with you to do things that are powerful together, bigger than I could ever do alone. As a pastor then, one of those uniquely called people in the church, my job is to equip this church to walk in exactly those ways. Opening your gifts and doing the ministry that God has called you to do. My job is not to do the ministry God has called you to do. My job is to equip you to do the ministry you were called to do. Now some churches, the pastor is the higher guy. He's the guy we hire to go to the hospital. He's the guy we hire to do the funerals and the weddings and to show up at the serves and to clean the church and do the bathrooms and do the building. And, all. and by the way, I've done all that. But that's not my call from God. My call from God is to help you know that God has given you at least a gift, probably more than one. And if you open that gift and walk in that gift, not only is it going to help you, but it's going to help everybody around you. See, some of you, I'm just going to pick a couple gifts. You're gifted in discernment. That's a biblical gift. You, you have the ability to hear a bunch of information and discern which of that information is true or to discern which of that information is relevant at exactly this time that we should be paying attention to. And just the way you speak about it helps everybody else get clarity of what's going on. And if you don't do that, what happens is there's a bunch of information in front of all of us, but it's sometimes hard to discern what this information means right now. And God's just given you an ability to do that, and you don't even really have to try. You just have to speak up and share your thoughts and try to do that a little bit you know, less edgy and more, you know, more gently. And when you do it, everybody around you gets a lift. And you help them mature, and you help people to walk in unity, and then the whole body, all of us, are lifted up. It's pretty powerful when that happens. 
Some of you, when you pray, I don't know what it is, but when you pray, it's like you believe God's actually listening to you. I'm going to tell you, there's a handful of you that if I'm sick and in the hospital and I get a bad report, some of you, I'm not calling to pray for me. Now, I don't mean to be mean, but if I only got so much time, there's a handful of you that when you pray, God has uniquely gifted you with the ability to pray. The biblical word is intercede between people and God. And when you pray, it's like heaven comes down. That's who I'm calling if I'm sick. Just being straight up with you. Now, I'll take all your prayers and send all your good vibes, whatever that means. I have no idea what that means, but send them, sure, doesn't hurt. But I want people who know how to touch heaven. I want people who God is uniquely gifted in prayer. I want them to gather around me in my need. And when you do that, let me tell you what you do. You allow me to grow up and be mature. And you allow us to walk in unity together and do stuff bigger and better than we would ever do individually. Some of you, the Bible talks about gifted craftsmen. It's like you're good with your hands. These people were uniquely chosen in the Old Testament to build the temple. And when you do it, like, I, I, I like to play it this one. I, I, you know, I stand back and I'll take notes about how you did this thing and how you nailed this and how you cut that and how you measured this. And I'm so impressed. But when you do it, man, it looks so good. And you can do it quickly and you're good at it and you care about it. And, and when you do it, it's almost like an act of worship. And when you do that, I'm impressed with your skill, but I'm also reminded that God uses very ordinary people to make things that serve as tools to benefit other people, tools that can be used to help them grow, help them mature, and also tools that help us to do something bigger together than any one of us could do alone. Some of you have incredible compassion. And when you speak, it's like you just drip love and mercy and understanding. By the way, that's not me typically. Like God has to like be moving on me in a major anointing for that to happen with me. I'm more of the tell the truth kind of guy and let it roll. That's kind of the way I'm wired. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of me. I have more prophetic giftings. But some of you, when you speak, you have the ability to make hurting people feel loved in the moment. It's such a powerful gift from God. And we need you as a church. We need you to open that gift and use it. Because when you do that, God uses you and grows people up, not just you. And you also are able to bring more people in so that together we can do the profound work that God has called us to do. One of the big challenges in the American church is that we've hired professionals to do the ministry for us. By the way, this church is not at all about coming to see how talented or skilled I am. If you're waiting for that, you're in the wrong church, friends. I'll just be honest with you. I, mean, I have a few things I can do well. When I'm operating in my giftedness, God shows up and does some cool stuff. But there's so much I can't do. When we first started this church, here's the two things that I knew. God, without you, I can't do anything. And God, if you don't send people, we're dead in the water right away because it's automatically from the very first day bigger than just me. So there was a mantra around here. We would do ministry in teams together. There'd be no solo anything. We would operate in teams because a team can always do more than any one person can do. 
always. And we would operate in teams, which meant that together we would love each other and encourage each other and speak truth and love and do our best to build people up. We would do all of that so that individually they could mature and individually they could be whole, but together we would grow up as a body and God might do something profound in us. He might fill this place and he might through us fill our community. And if he helped us really big, we might be able to reach halfway around the world and touch and fill God, uh, let God use us to fill up that place with his presence as well. And by God's grace, for the last 15 years and three months, that's exactly what has happened. This passage has guided us that leadership around here is not about accolades. It's not about position. It's not about visibility. Leaders around here equip people to do work. Work for God. Work that is fulfilling, that brings joy, that opens them up personally to all that God wants, but beyond that, it is work that fills the space in which they're operating with the presence of God. And the presence of God is active, and where it's present, all kinds of wonderful things begin to happen. Deception begins to fade away. The lies that people come into that environment with, they begin to be shown for what they are, how hollow and shallow they really are. That's what happens when God is present. Lies drop away. When God's presence is there, what happens also is people begin to feel their value and worth. They straighten their spine, not in arrogance at all, but in the fact that they're made in the image of their creator. They are a son. They're a daughter of the king. Their sins have been forgiven. There's genuine hope. There's a real second, third, and fifth start again. That's what happens when God is present in an environment. When God is present in an environment, you look at the mountain and you say the mountain is big, but God is bigger. When God's present in an environment, marriages that are strained, they get pulled back together because a man and a wife begin to understand that they are called first to be a disciple before Christ. And as a disciple, that means certain things about the way you do marriage challenges. It's not because we have dispensed great wisdom around here. It's because the presence of God is at work among us. So how do we get the presence of God? You open your gift. I open my gift. And I accept all that God wants to do in my life personally. And I accept the fact that he doesn't want to just work in me. He wants to work through me to do some pretty profound things. So let's look at some message notes at the bottom if you don't mind. Number one, Jesus has given a grace gift to each person who's in his body. That means you. Number two, Jesus has given some people specific responsibilities to help the body be pushed towards maturity. This is no more easy in a family with parents trying to push their kids to maturity than it is in a church with pastors and church leaders and elders and boards and small group leaders trying to push people towards maturity. It's difficult uphill work, but it's worth it. Because number three, spiritual immaturity is harmful to the spiritually immature, but also to the whole body. So we got to keep pushing in, letting God fill us so that he can through us fill the world. 
Two guiding principles here, number four and number five, that love spoken without truth is not loving and it actually results in immaturity. It's truth spoken in love. If you look at verse 14 on your message notes, when this thing happens, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, all of us are joined and are held together by every supporting ligament. We grow and we build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. So love spoken without truth is not really loving. It's just placating, putting a Band-Aid over a dirty wound, Got to clean it. And it ultimately will result in immaturity. And also, number five, truth spoken without love is not truthful. Because the truth of the matter is, is no matter how stark the news, there is a God who is present and available, who comes with grace and understanding every time. And number six, all of us are necessary to do all God has called us to do. All of us. The truth is, whatever God wants to do on Christmas Eve Eve, it won't happen without all of us. I mean, I can show up, Will can show up, the greeters can show up, we can have a lot done. But if you don't do your part, it ain't going to work. In your family, if you're a husband and wife and you're still together, in, the, in your marriage, you're a husband and wife. In your family, it isn't going to work if the husband doesn't do his part. He's called by God. It's not going to work if the wife doesn't do her part. All of us are necessary to do all that God has called us to do. One of the reasons I'm most excited about Christmas Eve Eve is we're going to have new people in this church, and they're going to come from all kinds of backgrounds and perspectives, and they often have no idea of how profound and awesome and beautiful the life that God is calling them to. I mean, some of them will come broken and hurting, and all they can think about is their brokenness and hurt. And on that night, they're going to get a little bit of joy, a little bit of, little bit of, of a balm to put on their wounds, and that'll be good enough for the night. That's all they'll know. But beyond that, there's a group of people here called the local church. And we're not perfect, but we understand that there's so much more for them with God. Long before they know it, we know it. And so we love them, we care for them, we preach truth with grace. We accept them in, we make sure there's clean toilet paper, and we make sure that the coffee's hot and the building's clean so that it looks like we're expecting company. And when they show up, maybe they just get a little balm for their hurt and a little bit of joy in their night. And we're praying and ruining and loving and encouraging so much so that they can have all that God has for them. Because we believe this. And not only does God want to touch their life, but they might be called by God to be a part of this church. And if they're called to be a part of this church, by God, we absolutely need them here moving towards personal maturity. And as they do, then we're growing up too together. This is why a couple times a year we throw the net out and we say, go invite your friends. I mean, the Lord's calling people. Let's be a part of that. This is why next Saturday, for instance, the first Saturday of every month, we're going to get together in a group, and we're either going to go to the New Life Mission in Hamilton and feed our hungry neighbors in need, or we're going to go to the Healing Center at Tri-County, and we're going to serve an organization that serves our community in need. 
And it's bigger than any one person. That's why 20, 25, 30 people a week show up every time we do it. That's why we give offerings together because none of us have the money individually to do all that God wants to do. But all of us doing our part as God has helped us, we can pull it together and together we can do something bigger than any one of us will ever be able to do. And the real joy for me being a part of this church family and being in one of those unique positions that God has called to be an equipper, I can say with great confidence that it is normal around here to see people have their lives changed by Christ and then to get lit up. I mean, totally lit on fire for what it is to be used by God in their world. So it's not unusual to see men step up and come to Christ. And the next thing thing you know, their wife is talking about how things are changing at home. That's not unusual around here. That's normal. It's not unusual for a woman to get lit up by God personally and go home with a different attitude and a different way of interacting with their family and to have her kids talk about it to their small group leaders. That's not unusual around here. That's normal. This is what happens when you do your part, I do my part, together we all do our part. God gives lift to all of us one more time. We absolutely need you to open the gifts that God has given you that are not just for you. They're given to you in part so that you can be a part of what God is doing here in this place, filling this place with his presence and letting that spill over into the community. You're absolutely essential. If God's calling you here, we need you. We need you leading small groups. We need you doing hospitality. We need you serving our neighbors in need. We need you showing up and worshiping together. More than once, I've had a guest write on their first-time comments. We send them a survey. They send it back. Many of them fill it out. And more than once, somebody will say something, I can't believe how friendly everybody was. We need you to be friendly on Sunday mornings. More than once, people will write, I can't believe how the worship was so moving. And they often will say, not just from the stage, but from people in the audience who were engaged. We need you, or we can't do the work that God's called us to do. It's not unusual people to say, I can't believe a church would pay for me to go get some good counseling to deal with my marriage or my other issues that are going on. And they have no idea who paid for it and how it all happened, but it happened, and people gave a little bit of dollars here and there and a Christmas offering and made it happen. And as a result, we can, without ever thinking twice about it, say to somebody, hey, we don't know if we have the skill to help you, but we'll pay for you to go to a professional who can. That's how much this church loves this community. And it takes all of us together doing it. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. It takes all of us. All of us are necessary, number six, to do all that God has called us to do. Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a step together now as a congregation, if you don't mind. I said in the middle of the message that um, in some ways when I stepped into formal role as a pastor, I stepped out of ministry. Let me just explain that to you as you're pulling out your Connect card. What I'm talking about here is, is that I know that if I try to do it all, I can't. The other thing I know is that my job is to push and motivate and stir you to explore what God has called you to do. And the good news around here is, is that you do it. So many of you have stepped up. So just thank you for that. Thanks for letting me step out of trying to do it all and step into my role of trying to encourage it to happen and doing what I'm called to do while you do yours and she does hers and he does his and we do it all together. 
No. All of this is predicated on the fact that you're part of the family of God. If not, next step A says this, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. The greatest gift this world has ever known, we celebrated at Christmas, is the gift of Jesus. That he didn't stay a baby in a manger. He grew up a perfect life. He gave his life at about age 33 on a cross. He died in your place and mine, and he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected three days later. And the Bible says that if we'll put our trust in the work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, if we'll trust that, then if we will do that, we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That you'll never earn it on your own by being good enough. You can't be good enough, neither can I. You'll never learn enough information. You can't sign enough documents. No, no, no. The only way to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father is to accept the work that Jesus did on your behalf. So next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You'll take your pen and check that box and in a moment put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. We want to communicate with you about what it means to be a child of God, a son or daughter of the King. And I'm going to pray in a minute and let you do some real business with God. God, I can't save myself, so I trust the work Jesus did for me. I trust in that alone to save me, to make me clean, to make me your child. Next step B says today, I want to be baptized. And the next baptism is actually next week or on February 9th. If either of these dates work for you, check the box. We'll talk with you this week via email or phone, answer your questions, get you all the details you need. You begin the baptism process by checking the box. Next step C says, hey, I'll give to my Christmas gift offering. This is that time every year where we give a little bit more money than we normally give to help things like our work in India, the work in Cuba, Christian counseling that I was referencing. We, We give money to the agencies that serve our hungry neighbors in need around here. All that happens out of the Christmas gift. So go ahead and uh, check that box, and I'll send you where all the money's going to go this time, and you can get after that. So far, we've taken in over $12,000 in just a couple weeks. Our goal is $80,000. You're killing it already, so thank you for that. Um, if, if this keeps up, if everybody does their part, we'll hit our goal. We'll be fully funded for all the ministries we want to do next year, and next week I'll tell you even more about that. Next step, D says, I'll invite two people to the Christmas Eve service. That's why you were given two invite cards on your seat. Just take them home. Remember, it's at 6 or 8 p.m. on December 23rd. And then finally, Next Step E says, please send me the link for Grow classes. Next week is Grow uh, number two. Since it's the second Sunday of the month, it's Grow two. And uh, we'll send you a link with all the information and you can find out about it. Grow is our experience to help you mature in the faith by exposing you to some information and experiences. It's a very low Uh, commitment, kind of high-impact environment will feed you. Just check the box, and we'll send you that information. I want you to set that card aside. If you call this church home, I'm going to give you a chance to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with in the offering. There are folks who are coming forward to receive it. You put your Connect cards in here. You put your offering in here. While they're coming, let me just tell you, like many of you, I had a chance to think about all that I'm thankful for this week. And I say it a lot, but it's true. It's more than words to me. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you let me do my gifts here. I'm thankful that you do yours here. And together, God's done something pretty powerful among us. I'm grateful that you give portions of the money that God has blessed you with to make the ministry happen here. I'm grateful that it's not unusual for lives to be changed because of what we do together. I want to be crystal clear with you. Your investment is not wasted. Your time, your heart, your offerings, it isn't wasted. 
it's making a profound difference. And you're going to see a hint of that on Christmas Eve Eve, the potential that God has put into this church to help people experience God personally and to let God radically change their lives and their communities. So just thank you. I'm grateful for you. Let's pray right now about our offerings and our next steps. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus has given each of us gifts. God, my prayer today is that we would open it fully. We'd receive the gifts that you've given us with joy. We'd walk in them. We'd let them impact our lives personally, but we wouldn't get stuck just personally experiencing what you have for us. But we would dream, we would think, we would ponder what it means for you to use us in your work. God, would you fill us up individually? Would you fill us up as a body right here in this place? And God, would you fill our community through us, through the overflow of what you're doing in us? God, our prayer is that we would no longer be infants tossed back and forth. We wouldn't be caught off guard by crazy doctrine and deceiving schemes. Instead, you would knit us together, ligament by ligament. You would grow us up to all that you would want us to be. So, Father, I lift up right now those men and women that are saying, yes, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I want to be your child today. And, Lord, would you take our offerings and our next steps and cause them to go far and wide for your glory. In the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God, we pray. Amen and amen.